Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 98. On today's episode, it is all about organizing the kids' rooms. No matter if you have one child or five, the fact is kids typically come with a lot of stuff. Today, we're looking briefly at why these tiny humans come with so much baggage, how to approach decluttering with their interests in mind, and then how to keep it all organized without having to follow them around like their private cleanup crew, because who has time or patience for all of that? Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. My name is Deanna Yates, and I am thrilled you are here today. If this is your first time here, well, welcome. I hope the information I provide is not only helpful, but inspires you into action. And today is a good one. I get questions all the time about kids' stuff. It seems like the smallest among us have the most stuff, or at least the most in-your-face stuff. Look, I get it. It is easy to accumulate toys, little clothes, books, games, Kids grow fast and each stage comes with new belongings. And this is, today's episode really is inspired because I just reorganized my daughter's closet. And I'm going to be honest with you too, because just because I am a minimalist doesn't necessarily mean that my daughter is. Most kids aren't, especially if they are not asked to limit their possessions. I say this not to burst your bubble, but more to lay down the reality of the situation. If your child has never been given boundaries around their stuff, it's going to be really difficult to go from a whole house stuffed to the rafters with toys, gadgets, gizmos, and squishies to those sparse Instagram images that you might be coveting. Now, I'm not saying that we can't get there if that is what you truly desire, but it is not happening overnight. All hope is not lost, though. This episode is going to lay out the seven things that you can do to corral the toys and mountains of kids' things and set up systems so your kiddos can help keep it up, too. But why do these tiny humans have so much stuff to begin with? Well, the answer is not a fun one to think about, and it is because we buy them things. We buy them the things because we oftentimes are filling a spot of guilt. Maybe we're working a little bit more than we want to be, or we're spending time doing something else, or we're, you know, something is happening in our life and we feel guilty about that. So we sometimes will buy our little ones things to show our love, right? I know I am guilty of that. I know um, lots of people are guilty of that. So generally, these humans, our tiny humans, our little people have things because either we brought it in or a loved one brought it in and there are no boundaries. So we're going to talk about how to do that. So here's how I recommend creating a space that not only encourages play and creativity, but also makes it easy to keep it neat and tidy. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Step number one is to involve your kids as much as possible. Now, one way to do that is to have them give you a tour of their room. I want you to get curious about what they love about their room and what they would want to change. Now, try not to assert your opinion here and let them lead the discussion. I also want you to make sure 
that you are not setting your expectations onto them, right? So a lot of times, I don't want to second guess, you know, don't second guess your kids either. Like I remember when I first started kind of this journey with my daughter and she would say that she wanted to get rid of something or I would hold something up and be like, keep, donate, toss. What do you want to do with this thing? And she would say, I'll get rid of it or donate it. And I would have a moment of pause, right? I would look at it and go, oh, really? Okay. Right? <laughs> so right now I'm second guessing her decision and it makes her confused. She just starts to lose trust in herself and doesn't know what to do. So make sure that when you are getting your kids involved, you are letting them lead the process and, and take their opinion, right? Do not assert your own, take theirs, let them lead. And if they say toss it, go ahead and get rid of it. Now, if you know at the in the bottom of your heart, you know deep down that they are going to regret this decision. Do not say anything. Put it off on the side later and hold it. And you will have to decide at a later time if if you bring it back out or if you say, I'm sorry, sweetheart, you made the decision to let that go. So you're going to have to decide depending on what that toy is. We cannot make a blanket statement right now, but definitely keep that ace in your pocket in case it's something that is going to come back and bite you in the behind. All right. So a little bit of soapbox there, but I want you to think about this from their eyes because you might find out that they have outgrown a toy that you thought they loved or that they really want an area for a new interest in their room that you weren't even privy to yet. So here are some questions that you can ask to get your kids involved. What do you love about your room? What is your favorite thing in here? What do you like to do in your room? What is something that you want to change about your room? And what are some things that you no longer play with? These questions will help set the tone and just be more curious about what is happening and what your child really wants to have happen in their room. Step two is to map out a plan. So once you have an idea of how your child or your children use their room or rooms, really depends. This can be for sibling sharing a room. This can be an individual room. This could be a playroom. This could be all sorts of things. This works for any room that you're in. So I want you to create a plan together. But first, you have to know how much space you're actually working with. So there are a couple different ways you can do this. You can take a picture and you can print it out so that you can mark it up and draw on it. Or you can make a sketch or a floor plan of the space. Now, I am one of those weirdos that loves to geek out on floor plans. So I prefer to make a sketch so that I can get an idea of how things look on paper. It helps me cut through the visual noise that often shows up in photos. So if you listen to episode 70 about organizing your kitchen, this advice might sound familiar as it is how I like to start when I organize a space because... Like I said, I geek out on this stuff. So the idea behind this plan is that with proper planning, there is less work to do later and you can get buy-in from your child in the beginning so that you can have and set this vision and like this idea of what the room is going to look like at the end so that you can keep them on board when you're working and you're all getting tired and you need a break because they will need a break. Okay, you will too. All right, so if drawing is not your thing and you don't like to geek out on floor plans like I do, at the very least, you can draw a square or a rectangle on a piece of paper and use this step to estimate the zones that you will create in the space. And that brings us to step number three, which is to think like a daycare center. So this one's a little strange. And what I mean by this is to create the zones in the room to keep like things together. So you've got your plan, right? You've got your piece of paper with the sketch of the room or just a square or rectangle. This this step is to zone it out. So a zone is basically one area where a certain type of item is stored, used, play with, and found. 
right? It makes it easier to know how much of an item you have, helps your children know where to find something when they want it, and the best part, it helps them know where to put it away when it's time to clean up. So daycare centers do zones really, really well. And when it's time for the time for cleanup, all the children can help because the bins are labeled. They know where everything lives. We'll get to labels in a later step, but we do that when we're sure of the items that will be staying in the room and when we can really make our zones concrete. This is a little bit more of a brainstorm. sorry, a brainstorming process so we know what we want and kind of have an idea of where we're going because it helps you envision how you're going to use the space and what zones are important to your child. For instance, in my daughter's room, some of our zones are a stuffed animal zone, a reading zone, a homework zone, a Lego zone, a dressing zone, and creative zones. Step number four is a biggie, and it is to finally start going through the items that are in the room. Now, by now, you are ready to see some progress, so let's get to it. If you've listened to this show before, you will know that creating piles is no longer my preferred way of decluttering, but the kids' rooms are an exception. It is likely that most of the stuff is in a pile anyway, so we'll work with what we've got and we'll make it better. The key is to work in zones and then work your way around the room. So I like to start with clothes and then do books and then move on to toys. And toys is all encompassing on this and it can be very different from family to family. So we're just going to call it toys. You can break it down as you get to that area, but you can go in whatever order works best for you as well. But for the sake of keeping everybody on the same page for this podcast, we're going to go in the order that I listed and we're going to start with clothes. So my favorite thing about clothes is that you can make a lot of progress really quickly, both with your children's wardrobes and with your own. It's pretty easy to see if the clothes, especially for kids, are the right size, if they're the right season, if they're worn out, or if they've never been worn because your child doesn't even like it. So if your child is like mine, they are very opinionated about their clothes. In fact, my daughter has adopted a uniform on her own and wears pretty much the same version a version of the same thing every day. So she wears a cotton dress with shorts underneath, tall socks, tennis shoes, and a lightweight jacket. Yes, it helps that we are in Southern California, but I have a feeling that she would have a uniform for each season if we lived somewhere that warranted it. It's just her jam. So when you are going through clothes, I want you to create three piles. The first one is keep. These are the clothes that your child still wears, and they are currently in season, right? They're the clothes that they're currently wearing right now. So It is April when this is going to go out, so this is going to be your spring and then into your summer if you have enough room for two seasons to overlap. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. 
Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Then the second pile is the donate pile. And these are the obvious clothes that they have outgrown, but I also want you to declutter the clothes that are out of the season and won't fit your child next year. So if you have any winter clothes that are the current, they're appropriate size-wise, but they're not going to fit next year for next winter, I want you to go ahead and declutter those. You might want to keep one set of uh, off-season clothing just in case you live somewhere where the weather can get a little funky because you obviously don't want to have to run out and buy a long sleeve shirt if the weather changes. But you just want to keep that into mind, right? Don't keep a lot of things or just keep the next year's season for the next size up and get, you know, have them wear something big if they have to, right? Okay, that always works with kids. It's much easier with kids than it is with adults. So I have found that my daughter's opinion about an uncomfortable outfit isn't going to change, right? Okay, so let's move past this. Let's talk about what happens if you have clothes in there that are cute, you like, but your kid doesn't want to wear them. Guess what? They're never going to want to wear them. No matter how cute you think they are, no matter how expensive they were, whatever, it works best to just get rid of them, pass them on, because if they're not wearing them yet, they're never going to wear them. So you might as well let somebody else enjoy them while they're still in season. All right, so then you're going to put all of these items into a donation bin right away. And I actually prefer to use a box. So throughout this process, when you are decluttering, I want you to use a black bag for anything that is garbage, worn out, anything that's not donatable. I want you to use a cardboard box for anything that you're going to donate so that you can fold it up and get rid of it right away. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to put these things in a pile and then rebox them up because that pile will just get shoved off to the corner. Your child will come in and take something out of that pile. Trust me, use a cardboard box. And then the final pile of clothing that we're going to talk about today is future clothing. So we're going to put away or store clothes that you are wanting to either hand down to another child or something that's going to fit in an upcoming season. We talked about this briefly, but you can also store clothes that hold a significant emotional value, but I want you to try to keep this to a limited amount. I know a lot of people ask me this stuff when they say like, well, what if, what about clothes that I, you know, that really are just special? How special are they? Are they really that special? Are you really going to care in five years to look back on a whole drawer full of stuff? You know, maybe keep the one piece. I have one piece. If you've ever seen a video of me or a picture of me in my office, I have one piece of the first piece of clothing we bought my daughter when she was in utero. (laughs) We were six weeks pregnant. We were in Paris and it's the outfit she wore home from the hospital. So that is hanging on my wall. I turned it into a piece of art and it's a conversation piece I talk about all the time and I absolutely love it. I haven't really saved anything else and it's okay. 
like I have pictures of her in clothes. I don't need to actually keep the clothes. What am I going to do with them? So that is just my little soapbox there on saving sentimental clothes. All right. Sorry. But for these future clothes that you are keeping for either a child that's growing up or for a future season, I want you to label them. I want you to put them either in a bin, a box, or a storage bag. I want you to write the sizes and the season on them so that you remember to get them out on time because I have sadly been that person who had items stored away for future use and they never got used because it wasn't labeled. I thought, oh, for sure I will remember these things are here. And guess what? Never remembered. So learn from me and don't let that be you. Have a designated place for these items and then check in on them from each season. So every time you go in to declutter your child's closet, I want you to do it twice a year. I want you to do it um, before this, you know, spring, summer, and then again, fall, winter. And that way you can change out the seasonal clothing. You can check to see if you have anything from the next season, and then you can build in and fill in all the holes on their wardrobe that they need for the next size up. Okay. Now for how to store your child's clothes, right? Now we've gotten rid of the clothes that we no longer need. We've got our keep pile. What do we do with them? Well, fabric storage totes with handles work great for storing kids' clothes. In fact, this is what we use in my home. The clothes are folded and stored vertically, a la the KonMari method. And so when the drawer is open, you can see everything in there. You don't have to dig in. You don't have to dig through the piles. You don't have to mess them up. My daughter can reach right in, grab a dress, and be done with it. We only hang a few items, and really those are the kinds of things that aren't worn very often, but they're like a fancy dress and that kind of stuff. So if we have a dress-up event to go to, we have the one dress we'll need. Now, you could also use a dresser if you have one. Drawers work very similarly. We just happen to use the fabric storage totes because they fit in the space we have. Just try to keep like clothing together to make it easier for your child to get dressed. So we have one bin with her dresses and shorts, one bin for pajamas, one bin for undergarments and socks, one bin for pants and long sleeve items, and then one bin for sweaters. This way she can dip into the clothes for chillier weather as it's needed and everything stays neater because she's only searching for one category of things at a time, right? And I will give you a little hack here to help with clothes storage and keeping areas in your child's room neat. Before we moved, our daughter had a regular twin bed. Now we used the space under her bed to put those fabric storage bins with her clothes inside so that she could hop out of bed, pull out the bin and get dressed. It was great because it freed up space in her room as we didn't need a dresser or the actual like the metal rack that these bins go in. And it kept things from being stored or stashed under her bed, which come on, we all know that that is the black hole where toys go to make friends with dust bunnies, right? So it really served double duty. It was great. And then you know, kids don't necessarily like to see the dark space under their bed at night. So it kind of kept that um, under wraps too. So one final tip with clothing, as you find clothes that are worn out or stained, I want you to throw them away. Remember, if it's not wearable, if you're, you wouldn't want your child in it wearing it, don't donate it. Nobody else does either. Okay, now let's move on to books. I guess we're going to call this um, step 4B, right? So I have found that as my daughter matures as a reader, we actually read more, but we actually keep fewer books. So the library is our biggest friend, and we have a rotating pile of books that she reads before each bed, uh, reads in bed each night before she goes to sleep. Okay. Honestly, 
use your library if you can. I mean, it is great to be able to return the books. It helps keep clutter at bay. It saves us a ton of money. It gives us something to do. I love the physicality of being able to go and just browse the library and see if we can stumble upon a new read. We can talk to the librarians. It's wonderful. And if your child is like mine, it feels like once something has entered your home, it is 10 times or honestly 100 times harder to get it out. I mean, heck, that's all of us really. So I let the library be the quote unquote bad guy. So other people have the book on hold. So we need to get it back so we can get new books. Somebody else can read it. Don't we want to share this? You know, that kind of mentality with the library. I love being able to kind of have that sharing and communal sense with our neighbors. Now, when there is a book that your child falls in love with, um, over here, I'm definitely looking and talking about Harry Potter. Um, our daughter is obsessed. Purchasing a nice set as a birthday gift or a holiday gift can be a really good idea because I already know that she loves it. She'll appreciate it. And she's probably going to read it again. Now, if I think it's a series she's not going to read again, I'm just going to go ahead and just say that was fun to read, but we don't need to own it. Right. So if there's not room for new books in your house, then we can't bring new books in. But if you do have space um, or you can teach a child one in one out, this works really well. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Another place we love to donate books is with the Little Library. Now, if you don't have these in your neighborhood, take a look around. I think you can go to littlelibrary.com. I will look for the link and put it in the show notes. But these are wooden boxes. They're kind of, they look a little bit like a birdhouse. And people set these up in their yards where their neighbors can either donate books or they can take a book. It's kind of like the give a penny, take a penny type, type of thing, but with books. So we love walking to our local one and leaving books for our neighborhood. It's kind of like a treasure hunt too, because you never know what might be in there for us to discover. So we'll bring a book, we'll leave a book, we'll see if there's anything in there. I found a few books for me. I like to just be able to read them and then I return them. And it's great because I know it's just a temporary thing I have in my house and I know I have a place to take it back. But how do you determine what books to keep? Well, for us, we use the container method. This is what I was talking about a little bit a minute ago. This means that you determine how much space is available for the books in your home. And it might be one shelf. It might be an entire bookcase. But once you decide how much space you have, once you know what's available, that's it. You only get to keep what fits in that space. And you will be surprised at how well this can work with kids. You tell them they can put whatever books they want in the space available. But once it is full, they will have to swap something out if they want to keep something that's not already on the shelf. I want you to be firm but gentle throughout this process, and it will go well. Do not hem or haw. You know, don't give in. Don't be like, hmm, well, maybe we can squeeze one here. You know, uh-uh. Your kids are going to test you, but as long as you stand your ground, you show empathy, and you say, you know, I'm sorry, honey, this is the amount of room we have for books, so we're going to have to decide um, do you like this book better than any of those that are on the shelf now? To make it look nice and organized, you can line your books up by color or by height. My daughter prefers height, so that is what we do. All right, so now once your clothes and your books have been decluttered and organized, it's time to tackle the rest. Now this is going to be 4C. I called it toys earlier, but really it includes everything else that's left. This is going to be toys, art supplies, treasures, games, stuffed animals, and 
anything else that lives in your child's room. It is a big category because every family and child is different. So I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to ask your kids to pile up the toys that are on the floor and around their room. And I want you to make it fun and get silly. Go ahead, act like a bulldozer, shove it all into the middle. Seriously, if your kid's room has turned into a total pigsty anyway, and you can barely see the floor, then this is going to be the quickest way to deal with them. So pile them all into the middle of the room and just get to sorting. I do have a little good news if your child's room is looking like this, right? That means that the toys that are on the floor are likely their favorite toys because those are the ones that have been played with the most. They haven't been put back. Those are the ones they go to time and time again. Those that are still on the shelves need a little more investigation. You want to ask if they're there because they no longer enjoy playing with those toys, or is it because they couldn't reach them? And I'll give you an idea for what to do with these toys when we get to another, uh, I think it's step six, Might actually it's step seven. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. And so I'll give you, uh, you know, some ideas for what to do with those toys that you're not quite sure about in just a minute. But as you go through the toys, I want you to be sure that you toss your broken toys or toys that are missing, anything that's missing important pieces. I mean, go ahead and get rid of those. They're broken. They're not whole. You've got plenty more, right? Okay. So one of my pro tips when it comes to toys is to keep special treasures in their own small bin. Now, you know these treasures that I'm talking about. They are the knickknacks, the doodads that they get from birthday parties, fairs, kinder eggs, the dentist. They are the bane of all minimalist existence, right? The best part is that once that bin is full, your kids have to swap something out in order to keep the new one. Again, this is that container method. It is a great lesson for later in life because using that one in one out method 
it really helps you also as an adult because you know I've got this much space. It's already full. What's going out so I can get the new? And by keeping that bin small, I get to keep more of my sanity. The next part to sorting is to keep like categories together. So here's where those piles come in as well as your room plan from step two and your zones from step three. So as you're creating your piles of categories like art supplies, stuffed animals, building toys, etc., you can ask your child to put them in the zones starting with their favorite. And when that container is full, again, that container method, they have to decide if they want to swap something out or if you can change out full categories or zones if you feel it's necessary. I'm going to refer back to step seven if this is the case. So remember, items that are, they are ready to part with are going to go in your cardboard box. This is your donation box. This is the get it out of the house box. Real easy. Anything that's not in good enough condition to be donated is going to go in your garbage bag. Okay, that was step four. That is the big one. That is the decluttering. And we cannot have an organized space until we declutter because you cannot organize clutter. You cannot organize the mess and the chaos. So we get rid of it so we can move on and have the home that we want to have. All right, you are almost at the finish line, okay? Your room should start really feel like it's coming together at this point. So here is when I want you to make sure that you give the room a quick clean. So before you put anything away, I want to make sure that you're wiping down and you're cleaning all those surfaces. I want you to dust the tops of your dressers, each shelf, all the flat surfaces. Start at the top and work your way down because you are going to end with vacuuming or mopping the floor. And of course, don't forget to get under the bed. Once that is done, we're going to move to step six, which is to put everything away in their home. This is the secret to getting a space organized and keeping it that way. After you have decluttered and you have your pile of trash, I want you to take that out. Then look at your boxes of donation items. I want you to close those lids. I want you to take them to your car. And finally, you will be left with what stays. If you have not put your items away, now is the time to do that. I want you to fold your clothes and put them in the dresser, those fabric totes, or hang them up, whatever your preferred method is. I want you to put the books on the shelves or the um, picture ledges, however you are going to be storing those. And I want you to put the toys in the bins, baskets, or zones where they belong. In each of those zones, you are going to determine how much space you have available. It might be one or two shelves on the bookcase for the reading area, a hammock or a beanbag cover for the stuffed animals, a bin for each of the toys like cars, dolls, music, Lego, art, etc., a dresser for the dressing dressing zone, and so on. The idea is to create the boundaries before you start to fill them up, and this is vital to your success. There is a finite space in your child's room, so you have to set the boundaries first. Now, you started with this already when you mapped out the zones in step three, but this is where it becomes real. So before it was a plan, it was an idea, it was a brainstorm. Now it is reality based on how much stuff you have left to put away. And this is also the time where those labels come out. We talked about this in the daycare center. The daycares have the labels so the children know what they're doing. So if your children are little or they're not reading yet, picture labels are fantastic. If your child can read, then go ahead and use word labels so that they know where things go. It does not have to be fancy. It literally could be written on a piece of um, masking tape. It could be, you know, drawn out on a index card and taped up. It doesn't have to be crazy fancy. Just simple and make it work. And this is going to be, make it much easier for your children to help in the cleanup process. Now, if things are going to be stored on a shelf, I want you to label the shelf. If they're going to be stored in a bin and things with lots of little pieces and parts really should be stored in a bin or a box, I want you to label the bin. 
I want you to feel free to have temporary homes too, because again, this is a work in process. This is not a one and done. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, But my daughter likes to make things out of paper, paper, airplanes, fortune tellers, origami. There are always little bits of paper everywhere in our house. So we have a clear shoebox in her closet where she keeps these items. I look at this place as a temporary home because she's always changing things out. She's changing out what's in there you know, she makes new creations, throws old ones away, whatever. But it's a place where the paper creations live, no matter what form they take this week, okay? Another important part to this step is regarding the language that you use as you clean up. And as you put these items away, I want you to, I want to encourage you to use positive language when you're working through this with your kids. No one likes to be told what to do or to clean their room, right? Nobody likes that. That makes everybody cringe. But kids do like to imagine, and most kids give their things personality and life. And that is why I like to ask kids where they want their items to live or to sleep at night. You've already made the categories to the things, so the crayons are going to stay with the art supplies, and you know they're not going to end up with the stuffed animals. But I want you to give your kids some ownership here so that they buy in when it's time to tidy up in the future. Remember, you are on the same team with them, so work with your teammate, cheer them on, and use your positive language. And that brings us to step number seven, which is the final step, which is to create a toy rotation. Guess what? This step is not going to be necessary for everyone, but if you find that you have too many toys to fit in the container spaces and homes that you've designated as appropriate, well, rotating out toys can be a life-saving trick to have up your sleeve. So I want you to grab a few plastic bins and I want you to put in the toys that didn't make the cut to stay in the spaces allotted this time around. That you're, you know, maybe they're toys that were on the shelf that were out of reach, but they're still loved. Maybe it's a toy that your child is having a hard time letting go of. You know, maybe it's something that they are like, nobody really want to keep it. And you say, well, you know what? It's okay. We're going to put it here and we're going to get it back out in a little bit. I want you to look for other items in the same category. So for instance, your blocks, your Legos, your Barbie, your little life pets, whatever they have. The idea is that this whole category can be put in a toy rotation. So when it's out of sight, you take it, you take it away, you put it out of sight, and then it becomes out of mind for a period of time. And I want you to label these bins so that you remember what's in them. And I want you to store them elsewhere. I want you to put them in the garage, up in a closet, in the basement. It's important that your children can't see them on a regular basis. If they glance them, you know, glance at them one time or whatever, that's fine. But I don't want it to be like in their closet so that they they think about it all the time. I want it to be a surprise when it comes back out. And then when your child starts to become a little bit bored with the current set of toys in their room, you can rotate out some of these toys and replace, you know, them with those that are tucked away in a bin. Generally, I get out the entire category. Does that make sense? That's why I do the category so that it's like, whoa, you know, they've likely forgotten about them. And these toys are going to be just as exciting as bringing in brand new toys because they haven't played with them in a while. Trust me, toys don't have to be brand new and out of a box, out of a package for them to be exciting, right? They can be toys that they've had before and they just haven't played with in a while. And this way, it's also a really good way to transition into minimalism because each time you rotate out the toys, you can declutter some that are no longer in great condition, or maybe your child's ready to move on and let go of those toys, or maybe they just decided, you know what, I don't actually really want to play with that anymore. So 
they're willing to declutter it. Now, from experience, decluttering and organizing a kid's room, like I said, it's not a one and done thing. They grow and change and it happens rapidly. And so you are going to be back here again sooner than you wish. The good news is that it gets better with practice and you can be wiser as you move forward with purchasing new toys because you know they already have enough. The more you have to declutter stuff and watch the stuff that you have spent money on get thrown to the donation pile, the less you are likely to want to purchase more toys. So the hard truth is that the less you buy, the less you will have to declutter later. All right. And now it is your turn to take action. Are you going to declutter your kid's room? If so, I would love to be your cheerleader and help you along the way. Come on over to the Wannabe Minimalist group on Facebook and join in the conversation. You can find the link in the show notes or on my website at wannabeclutterfree.com slash 98. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 98, or just search on Facebook for the group. And if you're ready to get the rest of your home decluttered, organized, and clean too, but don't know where to start, I invite you to check out Tidy Home Academy. Having a home that you are proud of and that runs smoothly with the right systems in place is possible. You can do it, and I am here to help you along the way. You can find out more at wannabeclutterfree.com slash tidyhomeacademy, all one word. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com slash tidyhomeacademy. And that just about wraps it up for today's episode. But before I go, I just want to take a minute to thank you for listening to this show. I appreciate that you choose to spend some of your time with me, and I hope that the information I provide is not only helpful, but inspires you to take action. And if you enjoyed today's episode and haven't done so already, please leave a review to let me know what you think of the show. It helps me plan future content, makes the show better, and it elevates me to the next level so that I can keep bringing you even better episodes in the future. Also, be sure to describe to be notified of new episodes wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. All right, that takes care of our show for this week. Happy organizing, and I'll see you here next week when we'll have another guest on the show. I was super excited to catch up with Dr. Jenna Hua of Million Marker, and we had an incredibly insightful conversation about the toxic chemicals that we all run into every single day in our lives. If you have ever worn makeup, eaten anything out of a can, used plastic food storage containers, or wanted to live a healthier life, so really I think I'm talking about every single person out there, you'll definitely want to check out next week's show. I'm Deanna Yates with The Wannabe Minimalist Show, and I'll see you here next week. Cheers. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.